we uh, open our Bibles to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. This morning we are going to concern ourselves with chapter 2, uh, verses 10 through uh, 16. As we sang that last song, it is fitting with our passage this morning in that uh, what we'll see in this passage this morning is that we are His and the uh, picture of that is that we are each other's. We are His, but we are each other's in that relationship with Him. Uh, we belong to Him individually, but we belong to Him relationally with one another, and we belong to each other. So we will uh, see that in our passage, hopefully this morning, if I uh, do what I aim to do here with God's Word. Uh, first, uh, we will pray for the Lord to reveal to us His Word, and then we will read the text in its entirety, and then we'll break the passage down, making observations, making connections to other scriptures, and then uh, some applications as we go. So first, would you join me as we pray? Well, Father in heaven, uh, your people who you have gathered together in covenant grace through Jesus Christ, we come in need of your continued grace this morning. We desire that your word would illuminate our minds and flame our hearts and move our will toward obedience and faith. We pray for those who have been hindered by your divine will from gathering with us this morning. We ask for healing for Patty, whose uh, cough has gotten the better of her. We pray for the Moors and uh, just an ickiness that has invaded their home. We know that their desire is to be here, to worship you, to be among your people. So we pray, Lord, that you would restore them. We pray this morning for the church that is going to gather at Wapato. May your people be edified, the gospel clearly proclaimed there and here and throughout our area this morning. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of the inspired, infallible, God-breathed word of the Lord this morning from Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. 
though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. This is God's word. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is Covenant Relationships. I want us to get that relationships, faithfulness to one relationship, faithlessness to one relationship is faithlessness to all relationships. That we are together in covenant relationship with one God. See, the church is a people united to God and each other in a covenant relationship through Jesus Christ. And our faithfulness to Christ is demonstrated in faithfulness to His covenant people. Faithlessness to the members of the covenant is faithlessness to the covenant between Christ and us as individual Christians. Faithlessness toward members of the covenant community is then to profane the covenant. Faithlessness in any of our relationships has a profound impact upon the covenant people of God to whom we belong. Because the church today has historically failed to remain faithful to our commitments in covenant community, the church, instead of calling for reform, guess what we do? We lower the standard. We lower the standard. We say, well, it doesn't really matter that you're not faithful to this community. You're faithful to the Lord and you have this individual relationship. It doesn't matter that you're faithless with one another. We just decide to lower the standard. You see, that is the point in Malachi throughout that book. He has seven statements throughout this book where you say, but I say this, but you say. And what is it that the people say? The people say that your standard is too exacting. We, we will set up our own standard. We will dumb it down and make it easy for us. Right? So if you want to get along with people, just lower the standard, right? Don't raise the bar. Well, the church, instead of calling for reform, they just have lowered the standard. And you know what most church uh, bodies do? They avoid, they avoid this topic altogether. They avoid the topic of a contractual covenant commitment. They avoid that topic altogether. They lower the standard. I remember we used to have on our, on our welcome uh, cards, one of the first uh, areas that I wanted to change uh, back in 2015 was on that, that, that welcome card. It says, you came as a visitor today. Next week, your family. No. What a false sense. There's no sense of, of an obligation to be committed to a people, to be committed to a mission that God has called us on. So that was one of the first things I said is, we're getting rid of that statement, right? 
you are welcome here and continue here and we would love to embrace you as part of our family. But we need to know that you are a covenant committed Christian, that you are committed to these folks who gather here and that these folks are committed to you. Right? Well, we have this phobia, and it's everywhere, that, that we don't want to enter into contractual agreements with each other. And why do you think we don't want to? I think it's because we have failed to be faithful to one another. They said, well, since the church body and church members have been faithless toward me, let's just not have any obligation whatsoever. If I don't like it here... That's the other problem. See, if you don't like it in one particular church which you have decided to commit to, the problem is that you can go down the street you, with no obligation to the people you just left necessarily. Right? You can go to the church down the street and they probably will have something that says, welcome, today you came as a guest. Next week, you're part of the family. Right? They may say that because they may not want to call you to any contractual agreement. So first, before we really dive into this, I, I want to define the meaning of the word covenant. Uh, we're going to talk about covenant a lot in this passage. We can define covenant as an agreement between two parties, a contractual relationship. Each party has terms by which they bind themselves in agreement. You see, so party A agrees to provide something to which party B uh, has an interest in receiving and they must perform something to satisfy party A's contribution to us. No matter what the terms of the agreement are, see, each party then is bound to remain faithful in their part of the covenant, in their part of the contract. Should one party fail to remain faithful to the covenant, then it is said that the covenant or the contract is broken. To be faithless toward the members of the covenant then, you see, is to break the covenant. As we turn to our text, God's messenger here is sent to God's people, warning them against sin, error, and apostasy. And he, he's warning them that, that one day judgment will come for covenant breakers. But he also is, is encouraging them that, that the, a greater messenger is coming, right? Israel, in, in this uh, book, displays and demonstrates a disdain for the covenant, through unfaithfulness toward one another. Let's look at verse 10, just the, the beginning, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Malachi here is saying, do you not see that we are united to one Father? Do you not see that we are a family created by God? That out of all of the peoples of the earth, we have been bound together with the God who chose us. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Malachi's opening question. Do you not remember that collectively we are united together as God's bride? We are God's bride collectively. Do you not know that we have but one Father? 
Do you not know that He has created us, His bride? That He would be a husband to us. And then, He says, Why then are we faithless to one another, proveining the covenant? If we are God's chosen bride, why are we faithless to one another? We deny our union in the covenant marriage to the one Father of us all. The one Creator. The one who betrothed us through our uh, faithfulness toward each other. In Hosea 2.20, the promise of covenant relationship comes with His chosen bride and it is coupled with faithfulness. He says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. God's covenant commitments to His people, you see, they are promise bonds, aren't they? I will be your God, and you will be my people. In Adam, God promised blessing should he remain faithful to be fruitful and multiply the earth. But mistrust and faithfulness led to judgment and curse. But God renewed the covenant again and he, he made a promise to Noah. He says, I will establish a covenant with you. And it echoes the first promise to, Abraham, to Adam. God promises to bless Noah and to bless his seed. A new covenant is established with Noah, expanding on the original one made with Adam. By contrast, God sent judgment and curse upon the earth for His people's unfaithfulness. So you see, throughout the uh, Scriptures, we are and have been, all of God's people are covenant people, united together in relationship to Him. From Adam through Noah, from Abraham through Moses, from David to Christ, the people of God have been united and defined through God's gracious, continued renewal and ever-developing covenantal bonds. Israel, and especially Judah, Malachi says, has profaned the covenant unity as the Father's chosen bride. And they have done so through being faithless with each other. Verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You see, God separated Israel from the world. Separated them to Himself. Separated them to be a people set apart from all of the other peoples. God made a distinct choice in Israel to be a husband to them. And collectively, as a bride, they were to remain faithful to be separate as a people to one another. God commanded Moses in Exodus 19. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. A distinct people. Distinctly worshiping a distinct God. Listen to this. And, we, and this is us. We are a distinct people who should be distinctly worshiping a distinct God according to the nature and character 
of the one Father and the one Creator who has betrothed us to Him. Judah has profaned the sanctuary. You see, they have united themselves and the covenant people to a foreign God. This is not so much about ethnicity as it is about apostasy, about a drifting away from the one true God. You see, they've united themselves, they've united the covenant people to a foreign God. The profanity is not condemning relationship with mixed races, but it's, it's condemning mixed allegiances. The error is in worshiping God in an unprescribed way. Worshiping God not according to His exacting nature and His exact character, but when you bring a foreign God into the house of God to worship, what happens is a drift, a syncretism, a joining together, a lowering of the standard of holy God and saying, but we want this person to be comfortable amongst us. And so now we have, in this instant, they have... They have worshipped God in an unprescribed way. They have uh, lowered the exacting standard. They have worshipped Him not according to His character, but they've drifted into this thing that is called syncretism. A joining of two things that don't belong together. A little worship of Yahweh and a little worship influenced by the nature and character of this lesser foreign God. You might recall that Malachi delivers this oracle of Yahweh, and he is a contemporary of Nehemiah and Ezra. And intermarriage had led Israel to adopt less than exacting standards along the way. And this apostasy is what led to the captivity in the first place that they've just returned from. And yet what happens is, is that apostasy becomes the standard now, right? This drifting away, this mixing of the holiness and reverence and worship that God deserves, this mixing becomes the standard. Remember Solomon in 1 Kings in chapter 8? It says, From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And listen to this. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was of David his father. So I would ask us today to ask ourselves this question. How does the church today enter into an unholy union? We are certainly not like the people of Israel, are we? How is it that the church today, how, how, how do we compare what was going on here to what goes on today? How does the church today enter into unholy union? Is the church guilty of uniting itself in foreign worship? What I have seen in the American commercialized sense of what church is, is often the church lowers her standard of worship to accommodate the sensibilities of the world. 
So instead of exaltation, we entertain. Instead of proclamation, we perform. Instead of preaching, we make a palatable, dramatic presentation. To quote Stephen Lawson, as I often have this same particular quote, Stop with secular wisdom in the pulpit and cancel the entertainment. Fire the drama team. Get rid of the stick. Unplug the colored lights. Put the pulpit back in the center of the sanctuary. Stand up like a man. Open the Bible. Lift it up. Let it out and let it fly. When we fail to allow the Word of God to prescribe the worship of God according to His exacting standard, we have then married ourselves to the world. And we have syncretized our worship with God, with the gods of this world. And thus, what has happened is apostasy has become the standard. We profane the shed blood of Christ. And we are acting faithlessly toward our brothers and sisters in covenant. We are causing them to drift away from the one Father and the one Creator to whom we all belong. The drifting toward marriage to the world, you see, in that time began with the priests, didn't it? In Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 says, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the uh, Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians and the Amorites. But as the priests go, so goes the community, doesn't it? Verse 2 says, For they have taken some of their daughters to be wise for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands, and this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief, has been foremost. In this time, in the last days of Nehemiah as their governor, he led reform away from apostasy, warning the people not to return to error. In, in Nehemiah 13... 23 through 27 says this, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, and I cursed them, and I beat some of them, and I pulled out their hair. And I will make an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him even to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? You see, this treachery towards God is treachery towards one another. So I would ask us this morning, are, are we living apart as one who has been set apart? Do you live in the world as one who is the bride of Christ, committed to His kingdom cause, committed to covenant faithfulness, to, committed to the embodiment of our covenant? See, our covenant is no longer a promise, it's embodied. It is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Are we living according to that covenant in covenant with Jesus Christ? Covenant relationship with Him. Relationship with each other that affirms that we are indeed in relationship with Him, you see. If we are faithful with one another, it affirms that we are indeed in relationship with Him. Do we live as those who are set apart, committed to contribute to the advance of God's people? And do we, we do so in community? To live set apart, though, it begins with leadership, doesn't it? If you are called to such a ministry, a ministry of leadership, of leading people into covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, affirming that they ought to be committed in faithfulness one to another... If you are called to such ministry, you should be as bold here as Nehemiah. He got in their face and he pulled their beards. This is not right. This is, this is a profaning of the covenant of God to which you've been saved. Do you not realize that we all have one Father? We have one God who created us. As Malachi says... We are united in Him. I kept thinking this week of, of John chapter 15 when Jesus is, is, is displaying that He is the true Israel, that He is the embodiment of what Israel was meant to be, that all of the promises find their yes in Jesus, and that everyone who is incorporated into Him is part of that true Israel, that our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other, we are bound to one another as we are bound to Him. And if we aren't bound to one another, we must ask ourselves this. I remember a sister not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, said in a prayer meeting that she didn't really love Christians very much. That she had a real hard time loving Christians. As I thought about this passage, how, oh dear, could you have a hard time loving those whom God loves? Do you not know that you've been united with that person in Him? As rough and as weird as they might be, as hard as it might be to get along with them, He loved them and He laid down their life for them and He brought them into Him. Do you not realize that you have one Father? You have one Lord? You have one Savior? That you belong to each other? To say that you don't love other Christians is to say you don't love yourself. Don't you think? You belong to me. That's a part of me that I don't love. To say that you have a hard time loving someone who is in Christ is to say you don't really love yourself or the Lord that much because you're united, you're forever connected together in this covenant that God has made. To live set apart begins with leadership. And if we're called to that, we must boldly command that we rid ourselves of anything foreign, anything foreign in worship. We must insist that only Christ followers, we must insist this, that only Christ followers come to the table of the Lord. To make it loose and allow all to come to the table of the Lord syncretizes us with the world. We must insist that a person be committed 
to Christ and His people before we commit them to baptism. When we go to baptism, we're saying, you are one of us and we are one of you. You are committed to helping me follow Jesus much more closely is what you're saying when we go down there. And I am committed to helping you. We are committed together in union. We must be careful. We must choose worship songs that are not only theologically correct, but that communicate our responsibility to be faithful, to be faithful to one another. We must strive to bring worship that is as exacting as the character and the nature of God Himself who called us. Worship that proclaims the excellencies of the One who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We must insist on that. And I'm not saying that you have to be the pastor to insist on that. I think you who sit here need to insist on that. I think you who sit here need to insist on that coming from the mouth of this guy who's standing here. You must insist upon that. Not only did Judah bring abominable worship by marrying itself to foreign gods, but she rejected the covenant marriages ordained by God within their own community. Looking at verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because He no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? The people have disregarded covenant faithfulness, have rejected the exacting standard that God has called His people to, and cannot understand why they no longer find favor with God. Why does He not? Why does he not find favor with our offering? Why has the church of Jesus Christ in America lost its favor in society? Why is the church deemed irrelevant? I would posit this. Can't prove it, but I think it. I sense it. I would pose this, that the church in America and her phobia for covenant community faithfulness and commitment to one another has profaned the covenant, has married herself to the world so that she is not that distinct anymore. She's lost favor because she's not set herself apart. She's not been faithful to each other. We've borne a poor witness to the idea that God has called a people out and unto Himself. How we commit in love and faithfulness to one another, that is the witness of the gospel, of the actual work of Christ to make a people who were not a people now a people. We were once disunited in our various bends and our various things that we are, are, are bent toward. And even though those, those proclivities, those sensibilities still land with us, by the miracle of God's grace, we are one. Brought together. That is what we communicate to the world. But we must remain faithful to one another. And I think what we need is that because the church is not distinct, what we need 
in the church today and forevermore, this is not something you do once, is constant reformation, is a return to right living, a return to distinct worship, a return to worshiping God His way and according to His word and according to His nature. This second thing that you do, Malachi says, and that we also do, I think, is that we have abandoned the sanctity of marriage. Forgotten that marriage is a contract between a husband and a wife and that it has been witnessed by the Lord of the covenant, by holy God. Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? The Word of God uses the institution of marriage throughout the Scriptures as a picture of human relationship to Yahweh. The institution of marriage is how the Bible describes our covenant relationship to Christ, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. The indictment here is faithfulness to marriage is faithfulness, faithlessness. Faithlessness in marriage is faithlessness to God. It is faithlessness to the covenant. God instituted marriage to be a forever commitment. Just as He is faithful in His commitment to those He called. The covenant you made with your spouse, Malachi intimates, is that you made a pledge. You called upon your God to be a witness to your union. And yet they were separating themselves from their wives for no other reason than things like this. I am tired of her. She wearies me. I want another wife. And here Malachi is saying to disregard that covenant relationship is harmful to the whole covenant community and it is a disregard of the covenant that you have in God. It is a profaning of that covenant. Were you not joined to the spouse God gave you, uniting you in the Spirit to one another and to Him? That is His question. Were you not united in one Spirit? Were you not united to Him? And then... We get, what is the kingdom purpose in marriage? What was the one God seeking? Malachi asks. Godly offspring. What was the one God seeking? What is the purpose of marriage in the kingdom? Malachi says to divorce your covenant wife is to undermine the redemptive plan of God. To Divorce your covenant wife is to undermine the redemptive plan of God. The covenant marriage was meant to produce offspring who would continue to advance the kingdom in holiness and in godliness. To reject the covenant of marriage and join yourself in godless marriage is to produce godless children. Divorce within the covenant community, you see, is harmful and faithless to the covenant and to the covenant community. Now, 
some amongst us have been divorced and remarried, and I'm not talking about that whatsoever. I'm talking about from today on. <laughs> from today on, you who are in a committed marriage to a covenant-believing, uh, covenant-bought uh, Christian, do not separate yourselves from one another in that covenant. Be faithful to that covenant because God was your witness. It was the Spirit of God who joined you two together. Remain as you are. Divorce within the covenant community is, is faithless to the covenant God. It is harmful to the whole community. It is uh, harmful to the God-ordained covenant of marriage. And marriage is, is vitally important Marriage is vitally important in the church. It's vitally important. Relationships in general are important in the kingdom of God. You see, relationship is the purpose for the covenant in the first place. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's a contract. Is it not a contract? I will be your God. Faithfully, I will be your God forever. I've, I've chosen you and selected you out of the world unto myself, and I will be your God forever. I will send my son to die for your sin, that you might be forever in relationship with me, that you might be robed in his righteousness. I will be your God and your half of the covenant, you shall be his people, faithful. Faithful to him, faithful to the one who saved you, faithful to those whom God has also saved, those whom God has also brought in to the covenant. You see, these covenants initiated by God were promises, and they were these promises that were waiting to be fulfilled. But you know, when Christ speaks of a new covenant in His blood, what He's saying is this. I myself am the covenant. When Christ speaks of the new covenant in His blood, He says the covenant is me. The covenant is in Him. The new covenant in Christ is no longer a promise to be fulfilled, but it is a person who embodies its fulfillment. God's covenant word, you see, God's promise became flesh. Christ is the covenant. He is God's covenant promise made flesh. It is in Him. The church is united in this covenant relationship to the covenant maker God through the embodied covenant. Uh, the covenant of promise that was fulfilled in the covenant keeper, Jesus Christ. From Adam to Christ, through these unified series of divine covenants, God has created one single family. See, we are as related to Adam and Noah and Abraham as we are to one another. They were people of the covenant. They were people of the promise. And we are people of the promise that has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. All of those promises were pointing to this embodied fulfillment of God's covenant. And we are connected to that one family. 
that family of God. We're connected to that one family, a single family. And this family dis, dis, dis demonstrates and, and displays their faithfulness to Christ through faithfulness in relationship to one another. So guard yourselves in the Spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. And he repeats, So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I would say this, guard your relationships. Guard them. Cherish them. Cherish your relationships with your brothers and sisters in church. But, but mostly, cherish the love of your wife or your husband that God brought to you, that united you in one spirit to serve Him. Guard your relationships. Guard covenant marriage. Guard it in your spirit with everything you have within you. Guard it. Protect it. Guard the covenant community. See, to be faithless in our relationships brings hardship, not only for us as individuals, but it brings misery to the community. To be faithless in our human relationships undermines our profession of our relationship to Christ. See, the watching world must look at the church, and here's what they must think. How can you call me to faithfulness and faith in Jesus Christ when you act so treacherously to one another? How can you call me to faith in a relationship to this Christ of whom I cannot see when I look at you and you are faithless in relationships that, you, that I do see? The world must look at us and, and wonder, why would, I be, why would you call me to faith when you're so faithless to one another, when you act treacherous, treacherously with one another? In John 13... Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's calling them to covenant relationship, isn't he? Covenant faithfulness to one another. I call you this morning who have gathered here to the church to a recommitment to the covenant of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. I call you to remember that the covenant God joined you together with these, your brothers and your sisters, that God called you in covenant relationship to your spouse. I would remind you that we are one. We have but one Father. In Ephesians 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If we are united to one God and one Spirit through one baptism and one faith, should we not heed the call to be faithful to one another? Should we not understand that faithlessness towards one another is faithlessness to the 
covenant? That what we do to one individual harms the whole? That when we act faithlessly with one, you might not even know it. I might act, say, faithlessly to my friend Jesse. And if I do, and I harm him, it harms us all. It is bad for all of us. I want to leave us with the words of a hymn written by the late R.C. Sproul that describes our connection to the covenant people of God from the Old Testament on to eternity. He called this hymn, The Saints of Zion. From Abel's favored offering to Jesus' holy cross, the church of God's own choosing has triumphed over loss. Then come, O saints of Zion, in sweet communion wed. The bride awaits her glory, Lord Jesus Christ, her head. By faith our fathers labored, in faith they lived and died. From Abraham to David, faith stood when it was tried. The covenant of grace divine by Christ's own blood was bought. The promises of blessing shall never come to naught. By mitre's death, the holy seed was sown in grief and pain. That holy seed will flourish till Christ shall come again. The church of God triumphant shall in that final day have all her sons and daughters home from the well-fought fray. Let us take a moment of silence to reflect upon God's word and have it do its work in us. Well, Father in heaven, I praise and thank you that you have chosen these, your people, out of the world. I praise you for uniting us in Jesus Christ's death by one faith to one Father, to one Lord over us all. I pray, Lord, that you would grant to us obedience to commit ourselves to community covenant faithfulness towards one another I pray that you would bind the enemy from our marriages the enemy who wants so quickly to divide us from one another the one to whom you are a witness of our union. Lord, strengthen those unions, I ask in Jesus' name. And Father, I do ask again this morning that we would be steadfast in our pursuit of right worship, of setting ourselves apart that we would worship you according to your character, according to your nature. And that if you grant us any divorce, may you divorce us from the world, from those things that we've blended together. Those ways in which we have decided to lower the standard, Lord. Would you stir in us a desire to raise the bar, to elevate and exalt you, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.